The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us on a Sunday morning, we would love to have you be our guest. Service times are 9 and 11 a.m. We hope you'd consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting a donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's Word. Good morning, ACF Church. Oh my goodness, it's four degrees outside. It's finally wintertime in Alaska. <laughs> Woohoo! Yeah, isn't that funny? We complain when it's too hot, we complain when it's too cold. So we just love to complain. Anyway, I'm glad that you're here. Welcome to ACF Church. We are in the middle of a series called The Code, and uh, we're just kind of rewiring our hearts towards Christ, is what we keep saying here. The whole goal of this series is to talk about how we make decisions, the, the vision for our lives, and to set that vision based on God's Word and His call on us. And so um, what happens for most people is the code that we live by happens sort of haphazardly. It happens based on our circumstances, based on our upbringing. And what we want to do as a church is we're starting off the year by centering centering ourselves on God's Word and allowing Him to redefine for us what it means to be a Christ follower. And so that's our goal for the code. The first week, we simply said, it's not about us, it's all about Jesus. We're here to make Jesus famous. And so I hope you've had some opportunities to make Christ famous, to make His name great in your life. Last week was the first and the best. We talked about how every moment is full of divine potential and every moment is an opportunity for God to use you and to grow you and to expand his kingdom through you. And so we want to be open to those moments. And even in the mundane daily life, the stuff that we feel like doesn't carry much weight, we want to give our our very best and our first into those things. And then this week, the code is this. We kneel before we fight. He we are weak and he is strong. And so this is the code we want to live by. We're going to talk a lot about this out of Joshua chapter 5 this morning. And so you can find that in your Bibles if you want to follow along. But this whole morning is really going to be talking about weakness. And we're just going to unpack what it means to be weak and what it means to understand God as our strength. And this is a hard thing for us. Um, people talk about uh, pastors when they when they prepare for sermons often talk about how God teaches them what it is that they're preaching on in the week prior. And he shows them ways to apply it, which I'm just hating. I'll be honest with you. So um, I'm pretty new to this. I've been preaching just for a few months now here at ACF Church. And God is really growing me and challenging me in this idea of weakness. Because I like to be strong. I like to feel strong. I like to feel like I have power and authority over my life. And just over and over again, God is reminding me that I am weak and that he is strong. Even even just preparing for Sunday mornings, you guys, I wake up on Sunday and I just lay in bed for like 15 minutes just talking to God, preparing my heart to come here. Because I've just realized lately that I have no power to change the heart. I think a lot of pastors feel pressure as they get up to teach and and share like, well, if I don't say it the right way or if I don't do it the right way, then maybe God won't work, you know, and and there is there is something to be said about speaking God's word and being clear and concise. But I'll tell you guys, here's what I know. When you walk out these doors, the ball's in your court. 
When you walk out these doors, it doesn't matter how good my stories are. It doesn't matter how well I articulated God's word. When you leave this place, it's between you and him. And if the spirit hasn't spoken to you in a deep and profound way, then it's not going to happen. Like no change will come of this and you will be the same person leaving here than you were when you walked in. And so my prayer today is that God would speak to you. My prayer today is that scripture, as we open up God's word, that he would illuminate it to your heart and you'd figure out ways to apply that into your lives and we'd all be changed by it. And so let me just read this passage. Joshua five thirteen is where we're starting off. It says this, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and look, looked and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So the code today is we kneel before we fight. We are weak and he is strong. Would you pray with me as we start off today? Jesus, we invite you here. We ask that you would come into this place and speak to our hearts. God, I pray we would be uh, fully here today. God, there's a lot going through our minds. We've been through a lot of different things this week, God. It's been busy. We just ran into church today, God. I pray you'd allow us to slow down. Give us the ability to hear your voice. And God, I pray you'd illuminate your word and that you'd change us. God, I pray for those who are here today that are just searching and aren't really sure about Jesus and Christianity, God, that you would show them something real and authentic. God, you'd reveal yourself to them. God, and that all of us would walk out these doors changed by you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So uh, if you walked in, you might have gotten an insert. You can follow along and fill in the notes if you are a note taker on the insert. And I'd encourage you guys open up your iPhone and make a note for Sunday morning sermons um, and just write notes there. I know I forget most, probably 95% of what I hear as soon as I hear it. And so write some notes down. There may be some things that you can, uh, you can use later on this week. And we've got some people looking for seats. Can you squeeze in uh, if you wouldn't mind? If there's an empty space in your row, if there's not, like this is pretty tight up front here, but if there's empty spaces in your rows, just uh, squeeze on in and make some room for people as they come in. So um, everybody wanted to stay in their beds today because it was four degrees out. They're like, I'm not getting out of my bed. It's nice and warm. So we're in Joshua chapter 5. This is, this is where um, Joshua has just led the, the Israelites across the Jordan River on dry ground. Another miracle of God is as they are walking into the promised land of Canaan. And the, the mantle of leadership has just passed from Moses to Joshua. Now Joshua has got the reins and he's leading his people. And now they're, they're camping in this place called Gilgal. And where we find Joshua in chapter 5 is he's kind of surveying the landscape. You can picture him up on a mountaintop looking forward into Canaan, thinking about what's to come. He's looking over this city called Jericho, which was this fortified city. All the people are inside of the city. The walls and the gates are closed up. And you can imagine that he's making a plan. God, God is sending them into this promised land. He knows there's more battles to fight. You can imagine just the anxiety of like, God, I know you came through just a few days ago. Will you come through again for us? 
And so he's surveying the land, he's looking ahead, he's making plans, he's strategizing. And, and one thing I'll say to you as a church, one of the things that we value is strategy, is making a plan. We believe that the kingdom and, and the calling of the church to go and spread the gospel and the good news is the greatest calling that any of us have. And so it deserves planning and strategy and a lot of thought and a lot of research. And there's nothing more spiritual about not having a plan. You know, some people feel like, well, if I have a plan, then I'm not being led by God. But I'll say this. Have a, have a plan and be led by God. Have a plan and be flexible in your plan. Be willing to make changes on the fly as God calls you to do that. So he's making a plan. It's, and then we read in verse 13, he says, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. So Joshua comes face to face with this man with a sword. And you almost catch in this passage that he's a little nervous that this guy with the sword is kind of a big guy. And he's he's going, okay, I don't know who you are, but I kind of hope you're for us. But I want to ask, are, are you for us or against us? And this man with a sword wasn't just any man with a sword. But we find out as we keep reading that this man was a pre-incarnate Jesus. This was Jesus himself showing himself to Joshua. He's got this sword He's all riled up, ready to battle with Israel. So Joshua, he's following God. He sees Jesus. And what's his first response? Worship. The first thing he does is he bows in worship. And I just picture Joshua like nose in the dirt. He sees that this man isn't just any man, but this is God himself. Nose in the dirt, almost as if he could dig a hole and get deeper into the ground so he could be below Jesus. He would do it. And, and we see this in Scripture. Whenever somebody encounters Jesus, they just fall on their faces in worship. It's almost like their knees give out and they can't stand before the holiness of God himself. And, and this moment is kind of like the moment that his predecessor Moses had at the burning bush. A similar thing. God speaks through this burning bush, which would have been kind of crazy. And God's voice comes out of the bush. And then it says, you are standing on holy ground. Take off your sandals. And Moses does so. So here's Joshua, the next leader of his people. God reveals himself to him. And it's almost like we see this in Scripture that, that God wants to show himself to his leaders. And there are these moments where he reveals himself to them to show them who he is and who we are. Like, I am God and you're a human. You need to know your space in the cosmos. I am overall. You're just a human being. You are small. You are weak. And I am strong. So here's a question. Why is strength such a virtue today? Would you guys say that strength is a virtue? That we elevate the strong? I would say in our culture we elevate the strong and that we trample the weak. And, and maybe the code that we live by in our culture is that the strong will inherit the earth. You know, just be strong. Nobody ever celebrates second place. Nobody celebrates the weak. Like, man, I just, I, I just really respect Bill because he's so weak, you know? It's just, we respect the strong. They give us hope. They give us this feeling, well, maybe I can be strong too. And so I love to follow strong people and strong leaders. We respect strength. And oftentimes we don't respect weakness. And this is a problem. This is a real problem when it comes to, to Christianity because I believe that the first step in making peace with God is to be weak. It's the first thing you have to do. 
You have to understand that you're weak. Jesus, he's preaching on this mountaintop and he says in Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And as, as Jesus speaks about this new kingdom, he makes it so clear that if you think that you're strong, if you think you're self-sufficient, if you don't need any help, then this isn't for you. Good luck. But he says, the weak will come to me. The weak, the kingdom is for the weak, for the meek. And so there's this, this statement that people make about Christianity, that Christianity is a crutch for the weak. Have you guys heard that? Maybe you've said that. Maybe you're thinking that today. Yeah, Christianity is a crutch for the weak. And initially when we hear that, our response is to defend Christianity. No, no, it's not, a, it's not a crutch for the weak. You don't have to be weak. But let me just tell you, what you see today in my life, in this person standing before you, is somebody who needs a crutch. And what I want to admit to you is that I see my life and I see that I've got broken legs and that I can't stand on my own and that the statement Christianity is a crutch for the weak is absolutely true. That it is a crutch for the weak. The only difference between me and somebody who doesn't follow Jesus is what is my crutch. I believe I am weak and I, it's, been, it's been made very clear to me lately that I am weak. And that he is strong. You guys, last week, if you were here, was a really weird Sunday for me. Um, I was preaching, but I wasn't really here with you. Uh, I shared just briefly that before first service, my wife Amanda came up to me and she, she said, man, uh, she was crying. And, and when she came in, I thought, oh, something happened to her dad because her dad was going in for surgery the next day. So she's crying. She comes in real quick and she says, hey, I'm going to go to the ER. My heart's beating out of my chest. I've had some shortness of breath. She'd had some pain for a few days. And so, so I'm like, well, what do I do? You know, I'm getting ready to preach. Do I go up front? She's like, no, stay here. It's OK. I'm going to go. I've got some friends going with me. And uh, so she went into the ER. I preached. I don't know if that was the right choice or not. I would have hated myself if something would have gone wrong. And here I am with you guys, as awesome as you are. Um, I would have felt really bad about that. But she was good. And she, I kept calling her. And she's like, no, no, it's okay. It's fine. Just stay there. And you can come after second service. But we got her checked out. And it turned out that she had this collapsed lung, just a spontaneous collapsed lung. It's, it's kind of an uncommon thing. But she has this kind of um, thin spot on her lung that just burst. And the lung collapsed. It had been, I think, a few days prior that it had happened. And so... Um, just a weird thing. And so they ended up putting a chest tube in her chest and releasing the air pressure so her lung could inflate. And uh, I just want to say thanks so much to, to many of you guys who have reached out to us and just shown love to us. Our, our refrigerator is full of meals and you guys have sent notes and just been encouraging to my wife. And so thanks so much for just lifting us up when we needed it. Um, it really does mean a lot. When, when you do that. And so she's okay. She's on the mend. Thanks for your prayers. Uh, just keep praying for her. They said it's a 50% chance of it happening again. Um, kind of just a weird, bizarre thing. And, and I was driving into Anchorage after the church service last week with my friend Nick. And we're just kind of in the car. It's kind of quiet. And my mind is just racing. You know, when something goes wrong with somebody you love and you start to just think, what could it be? What if this is the first symptom of something much greater? What if, what if this is it? What if I lose her? What if something horrible is going wrong in her body? And in that moment, you're just reminded of how weak you are. You know, you're reminded of the frailty of humanity, of just at any second, something small could go wrong in your body. And all of a sudden, you're no longer here with us. I mean, it's a miracle that we're breathing right now. 
You ever think of the breath in your lungs? We didn't think much about it until one of the lungs collapsed. You know, you don't think about it. Wow, what a miracle. I have breath in my lungs that's oxygenating my blood and I can be here with you because of that. And so these moments, maybe you've had these moments where somebody close to you gets sick or you get sick and you realize, man, I thought I was in control of this thing. You know, my wife's healthy. She does good. She exercises a lot and just things go wrong. We are frail. We are weak. And any semblance of control you thought you had in those moments just disappears. You realize that control is just an illusion. You never had any control anyway. And it's it's scary. So I'll tell you this. I think everybody has a crutch. I think you all have a crutch. I think I have a crutch. We all have a crutch. Maybe you're like, well, what do you mean? I think we all try to find things to give us identity. We all try to find things to fill this hole in our lives. I believe that in the beginning when sin entered the world, there was, there was this disconnect between us and our creator. And since then, we've been looking for ways to feel whole again, to feel connected again, to feel like we have a reason to be on this earth. And so as human beings, we just find whatever we can to fill that gap, to fill that need. And so maybe today, like your crutch is your job. You have a great job. You do it really well. It gives you some semblance of, of, of uh, you know, safety and security. It, it makes money for your family. So you would, you would put a lot of weight on your job, and your job gives you identity and a sense of meaning. You know, maybe it's kind of like your sense of humor. You have this ability to make friendships really easy. People are attracted to you, and, and it's easy to just get everybody in the room to like you. And so that's kind of your crutch. It's the thing that you use to make yourself feel strong, to feel whole. Maybe it's your children. For a lot of people, their children are their crutch, which is unfortunate because then they end up carrying this pressure and this weight of you instead of just becoming the people that they're called to be. And so we find ourselves putting pressure and weight on our children that they were never meant to bear because we actually find our identity in our kids. Maybe it's your retirement. Maybe it's your 401k. You know, maybe it's your bank account. And you're like, I got money in the bank. I'm good. You know, I watch that. I watch my app. I watch my Alaska USA app. And as it goes down, I get stressed and my heart starts beating really fast. And I start wondering, what am I going to do? And I get nervous. And then when it goes up, I'm, I'm so calm. I'm happy. It's funny how that works. Money in the bank. And I am happy. That's your crutch. Everybody's got a crutch. Maybe it's your talents. Maybe you've got some kind of special ability or it's your, your intellect. You have this ability to figure things out. This ability to, to just make things work. I don't know what it is that you put your faith in, but we all put our faith in something to give us this feeling that we have a right to be here. This feeling of wholeness. And you know it's your crutch when it's threatened. What is the thing that when it's threatened, you freak out? You get upset. You get defensive. That's how you know what your crutch is. That thing that, that upsets you the most, the thing that, that carries the most, most time in your brain, you know, as you lay in bed and you just think about this thing, it's, it's probably the thing that you are gaining your identity from. And in the end, Jesus is saying, I want to be the one that holds you up. Jesus is the only crutch that can't be taken away from you. Everything else can be taken away. In a moment, our bodies can stop working. In a moment, you can lose your job. In a moment, the stock market can crash and there goes all your retirement. Who are you when your crutch is taken away? Who are you? What are you left with? 
And it's funny, when, when, when your crutch is threatened, people do all kinds of funny things. You know, they deflate footballs. You know, when it, I mean, they do whatever it takes to protect themselves. Poor Belichick, right? I know. We will do whatever it takes to protect our crutch, to do whatever it takes to be on top so that I feel strong, so that I feel good about myself. I don't know what you would do. You might cheat. You might do something uh, that is unethical because you want to protect your crutch. I'm a musician, and um, one thing you need to know about me is, is music has always been my crutch. It's always been the thing that I've gotten identity from. And when I started playing the guitar when I was 13, um, it was the thing that made a name for me. It was the thing that people respected me for. It was the thing that people honored me for. I would blend into the background, but as a military kid, I'd move to a new place. And when I would move to a new place, I would try to find a way to play the guitar in front of people. You know, I'd try to get on the school announcements. They'd put them on TV, which was awesome. It was so cool. We'd put them on TV, and then I'd try to play on the announcements. Or, you know, we'd go to a pep rally, and I'd do the Jimi Hendrix, you know, Star Spangled Banner. And all of a sudden, I was like a guitar guy. God in front of everybody and I got respect and I got honor and people people were like oh I want to be your friend gave me identity it felt like I had a right to be there you know and so in the town that I was in when I first started playing the, the guitar I was kind of the best guy around I couldn't find anybody that was better at the guitar than I was I felt like I was awesome and then I found YouTube and uh, if you, here's the deal. If you think that you're good at anything, there is some five-year-old in China that can do it way better than you can. It just it's been five minutes on YouTube, and he's got 700,000 followers on his YouTube channel. And you just realize, man, I am nothing. Oh, you just realize how small you are. And it didn't take me long when I found YouTube to find somebody, many, many people who are a lot better at what I did than I was. And in that moment, you realize, wow, I'm a small fish in a big pond. You know, sometimes we're shocked out of this sense of self-reliance. And we are, we, we, we're face to face with our weakness. We realize that we aren't okay and that we're not good enough on our own. And, and things aren't okay around you. You know, you, the people that you see in your life that you think, oh, they're good. They're okay. They're strong. They're not good either. They have a crutch too. And people around you, you know, in this state of Alaska, it's, uh, it's known to be the highest state in the U.S. per capita with uh, suicide. Suicide is huge in, in Alaska. And what, what always happens when somebody commits suicide in Alaska, what you hear is, I thought they were fine. I thought they were okay. They seemed so strong. I could, I would have never thought this person. And, and it's just, it's tragic because we look around and we think, well, they've got it together. They must be fine. But I'm telling you, I don't care who it is in your life that you put on this pedestal that they're so strong and so I can be strong like them. They've got some problems. You talk to them long enough, get them to be honest enough, and you will see their issues. I worry more about my friends that act like everything's okay than the friends that always have issues. You know that friend that every time you talk to them, they've got a problem. They're upset about something. Life's not going okay. That person, I'm, maybe they drive you crazy, but at least they're being honest. It's the person that in my life is always, yeah, everything's great, Brian. It's good. It's awesome. Life's good. Anything going, you know, anything to pray? No, it's good. Life's awesome. Marriage is great. Family's great. Job's great. Like, whew, 
boy, you're going to have a long fall from the top. And that's what I worry about, you know, is, is the fact that it's not okay. Life is not okay. This world is not okay. Things around you are not okay. So in preparation for battle and in the presence of God, Joshua kneels and he acknowledges, I am weak before a holy, perfect God. And this is the moment that people typically go to church. This is the moment that your crutch is threatened. This is the moment that somebody's like, listen, my life is falling apart. What I thought was going to sustain me and hold me up is no longer functioning like it should. And so people run to church. It's pretty uncommon that people go to church and they're like, yeah, my life's good. My family's good. My marriage is perfect. I've got a really good job. I think I'm going to go to church today. That's awesome. Nobody does that. They go to church when they realize that things aren't okay. So unless you were drugged here by your friend or by your wife um, or you're just... We're looking for free coffee. You probably have some kind of idea within you that I don't think I'm okay alone. I think that I need help. There's this beautiful passage in Romans 5 that speaks to this. Romans 5, 6. It says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I love that passage. While we were weak, while we were sinners, when we couldn't get it together, when we had our addictions, when we had our problems, when we were liars, when we were thieves, when we were cheaters, Christ died for us. Again, the kingdom of God is for the weak. If you think that you've got this on your own, you don't. And the gospel, the truth of the gospel that's being portrayed here is that it's freedom from trying to look like everything's okay. The truth of the gospel is admitting that it's not okay. It's admitting I can't do this on my own, that I need help, that I am weak and God is strong. We need to look deep into our souls and acknowledge the cracks in our foundation, the cracks in our souls, our weaknesses. When Amanda and I, we moved to Alaska, we started looking for a house. And uh, <laughs> we started finding all these different homes. And Amanda would be like, oh, it looks, that's a pretty house. It's got nice siding and, you know, nice bushes out front. And I really like that house. And we find another one, you know, oh, that doesn't look like a good house. It looks kind of run down and stuff. And so we started going in the house. And then Amanda would go, oh, it's got granite countertops. And, you know, it's got new appliances. It looks so pretty. And, you know. I just wanted to go to the basement and look at the foundation. I wanted to look at the beams. I wanted to go into the, into the garage and check out the boiler and see any potential issues. And, and like, I didn't want any surprises when it came to buying a house. I wanted to know what it was for what it was, you know. And you know in Alaska, there's a lot of like houses where just like some guy with a chainsaw had some logs and he put them together and he made a house. And so I didn't want that. I wanted a well-engineered, strong house. Or if it was a house with issues, I wanted to know what they were up front. And this is what we need to do. We need to look within us and go, listen, I've got some issues. I've got some problems. It doesn't matter if on the outside it's all pretty. If on the inside it's falling apart. And oftentimes... A strong exterior reveals a really weak interior. Some of the strongest people you know are really weak on the inside. 
And so we need to be honest about that. Ladies, find, find a guy with good beams. Find a guy with a good foundation. Marry Steady Eddie. You know, marry the guy that understands his weaknesses, understands his issues. Not that he hangs out there, but he trusts in the strength of Jesus to provide him what he needs. Men, find the same thing. Find a woman that understands her weaknesses, that doesn't think that everything's okay, that isn't perfect, but is aware of God's grace who rests in that. Find somebody who's got crutches. Find somebody who leans on Jesus. So we're all being held up by something. What's your crutch? Is it in your mind? Can you guys think like, okay, I know exactly what it is. This is my crutch. Proverbs 14:12 says this, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. And I think this is true of this. It seems right to look strong. It seems right to act like it's all together, but in the end it just leads to death. The kingdom is for the weak. And so this story of Joshua, we're not going to go too far um, into this, this battle in Jericho, but Joshua 6, 1 says this, Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And so you can imagine you're in this city and these thousands of people are gathering outside and they're like, hey, we should shut the doors. This is kind of scary. So they shut the doors. The place is all battened down. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. So in this moment, God is saying, listen, Joshua, I have promised this place to you. I have given it unto you. All you have to do is walk in obedience and there will be victory. And so that's where we find Joshua in this. He kneels before he fights. So I've got a few tips here, four things that I think we can do to fight like Joshua. Because life's a battle. There literally is a war waging for your soul. And I don't know if you see it. I don't know if you're aware of it. I'm oftentimes not aware of it. But there is a battle waging for your soul. And so how will you fight? And I think there's some ways that Joshua fights that we can learn some things from. And the first one is this. Joshua identifies the enemy. We find him at the beginning surveying the land, making plans, being strategic. It's not just haphazard. Well, I guess we'll walk in there and see if we can win. You know? He's being led by Jesus himself. He has a plan. Are you making a plan in your life for overcoming the battles within your lives? And who is the enemy? I think the problem is oftentimes we see each other as the enemy. You see your wife as the enemy. You see your kids as the enemy. You see your coworkers as the enemy. Ephesians 6.10 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You see, you're never going to win if you think your husband is the enemy. You're never going to win if you think even that person that did that thing to you is the enemy. In the end, there is a battle of darkness waging for your soul and for your attention. And I think if the enemy can keep us fighting with each other, he can keep us distracted. I think it's a strategy of his to keep us from knowing the true enemy. I think this is true for the church. The church often fights against itself. I think the church is often fragmented and disunified. We start to see each other as the enemy. What a great way to disable the power of God in the church to keep us fighting over things that are absolutely ridiculous. The person next to you is not the enemy. 
there is an enemy and his name is, is Satan and, and he is warring for your soul. And so we need to recognize the true enemy. And then we need to strategize like Joshua strategizes. We need to listen to God and be obedient to, to his call so we can overcome that enemy. Number two, Joshua bows in submission. I think this is where it begins. It says, And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? I think this is so key because Joshua bows and then what's he, what's he do when he bows? He listens. I think this is important. I don't know where you're battling in your life. I don't know where Jesus is trying to shape you and form you in your life. But there's first this, this bowing, this posture of submission that, that Joshua has. And then he listens. He says, what do you have to say to me? I don't know. I don't care what it is, but I will follow you. I want to listen to you. I think this posture is a huge thing. I don't know if you know that... For whatever reason, when your body goes into certain positions, when you kneel, when you bow, it actually, it actually opens your heart up to be moved by God in ways that standing wouldn't, you know? We talk about like in worship, sometimes you'll see people with their hands raised in worship, which if you're from a really traditional background or if you're new to the church might seem a little weird, but it's just a position of surrender. That's all that is, is like, hey, I am going to show in my body what is happening within my heart. And bowing is the same thing. When you bow before God, it's like you're posturing yourself to listen to God. And I don't know, maybe some of you need to bow. Maybe you need physically to learn how to do this. You just need to shut the door in your bedroom tonight, go into the corner, and you just need to bow and pray. Some people have never done this. And I will tell you that something happens when we're willing to posture ourselves to listen to God. You know, I think of like the picture of the kids bowing before their bed, praying, you know, at nighttime. And I think, man, are my kids seeing me posturing myself that way, submitting to God? Are they seeing their daddy bow before my father? I hope, I hope they see that. So we need to bow. So in bowing, it reminds us of who we are, reminds us of God's greatness and our weakness. Sometimes we need to do things to remind us of who we are in the cosmos, that, that we are just human beings. We're so small. We're so weak. I don't know if you just need to leave the church and just go stare at these mountains. Aren't they awesome? I mean, do you just stare at these mountains and go, I am so small. You know, I never feel so small as I do when I'm out hunting and I've got, it's just me and a rifle and I'm in the woods and I'm staring at this huge mountain range. And in those moments, I just realize God is so big and I am so small. And there's something that happens in my soul there that's really good for me. Maybe you need to take a step of faith. Maybe God's been calling you and your family to do something crazy for the kingdom of God. And you've been denying it because you're like, that sounds really uncomfortable. That sounds really stressful. I don't want to do that. I would challenge you maybe to take a step of faith. And when you do, you're going to be dependent on God himself and his strength. And you're going to realize how small you are. And how little control you truly have. Maybe you need to take a step of faith today. I don't know what, what's going on. And this is scary. I'll admit this. Kneeling before God is a scary thing. Especially if you grew up in a house where kneeling was a good way to get your head chopped off. You know? Like if you grew up in a house that you learned to protect yourself. If I kneel, if I submit, if I'm not careful all the time, somebody's going to come at me. 
And a lot of us grew up in these households of just protection, protect myself, protect myself because somebody's out to get me. And so we have trust issues. I want to tell you, Jesus is here to protect you. He has a better plan for you. He won't chop your head off when you kneel. He's here to love you and to give you grace. Number three, Joshua follows Jesus into battle. He follows Jesus into battle. He says, are you for us or for our adversaries? And then in verse 14, and he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. It's interesting in verse 14, he says, no. Joshua's like, okay, whose side are you on? Kind of a big guy, got a sword. I hope he's on my side. He says, are you on their side or my side? And what's his response? No. (laughs) This is a funny response. It's like, okay, so so what does that mean? Well, it it means Joshua, listen, I'm not on your side. I'm not on his side. Ultimately, I'm on my side. Ultimately, this is about me. God is saying all of this is about me. It's not about picking teams. Again, the battle isn't about you or them. It's not against other people. You are here for God. All of this is for him. He says, no, listen, I'm not on anybody's side. I am for me. And so Joshua ends up following Jesus into battle. When I was, uh, when I was growing up, I went to this school in upstate New York with my brother. It was a K through 12 St. Mary's Catholic school is what it was. We were Baptists. My parents sent us to a Catholic school. I don't know. Um, and then here I am in a Catholic church. Um, life's funny. So anyway, went to this Catholic school for a few years and um, it was kind of cool because my brother was older and we got to go to school together and he was always bigger than me. He got all the athletic genes and I got the talent. So I always thought that was kind of cool. And he would, it was funny, we, we, we would, uh, at lunchtime, I had this thing I would do. I don't know why I did this, but I, I was looking for attention or something, but I would run up to larger, older kids and I would jump on their backs and I would try to like yank them to the ground, which we already talked about this. I had a couple pounds on me so I could do this. I yanked them to the ground and, and I'd just be so proud of myself and it would tick them off. And then my brother would come running and he would separate us and he would protect me. And so I just remember this week, I was like, that was awesome. I can do anything I want to do. And so for, for an entire week, I would run up to different kids jump on their backs, yank them to the ground. They'd be angry, ticked up, jump up. And my brother would come between us and he'd protect us, you know, or protect me. And then Friday came and I saw my target and I ran up and I jumped on his back and I pulled him to the ground and I I jumped back and he's getting up and I look over and my brother's over in the corner of the room and he's shaking his head. (laughs) Just like that. (laughs) And I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. And this kid gets up and he beats the snot out of me. I mean, kicking, screaming, like it was, it was horrible. The teacher came over and pulled him off of me. I mean, I, they were just through with this stupid little brat that was jumping on their backs. I don't blame them, but I just, it's etched in my head, that picture of my brother going. (laughs) I just, I wonder if that's Jesus sometimes. I wonder if sometimes you're fighting for something and Jesus is over in the corner going. And you're like, no, 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 Jesus, you're right with me. Come on, Jesus, this is this is all for you. I'm fighting for the right thing. And he's just like, I don't know. What are you doing? You know, here's my question for you. Are you fighting? 
Are you fighting with Jesus? Like, are you following Jesus into, into battle? Because here's the deal. If you're not following Jesus into battle, you're in the wrong battle. You're fighting the wrong battle. And the church is notorious for this. The church is notorious for fighting over things that I, I, I'm just convinced Jesus is like, really? Really? Like, is that, is that what you're upset about? Is that what you're discontent about? Is that what you're frustrated with? Because here's what I think. I think Jesus is frustrated with certain things in this world. I think there are certain injustices and things that are going on that Jesus is like, no, come here. This is where I'm at. This is where I'm fighting. This is what I'm into. I think there are things going on that, that, that Jesus is like, okay, come on, church. This is where it's happening. And then sometimes I see the church and I see people in the church fighting over things, discontent about things. And I just think Jesus is going... I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what that's all about. There's a guy, uh, Rick Warren, I think he coined the term a holy discontent. That Christians need a holy discontent. We need to be frustrated with certain things in this world. You should be frustrated with certain things. There are things on this earth that should bother you. Boy, if you're not bothered by certain things on this earth, you need this earth, you need to look deeper because there are things that I think bother God. There are things that are hurtful to human beings that bother to God. I think when the church doesn't operate the way it's supposed to, it bothers God. I think when there's sin in our lives, it bothers God. We should have a holy discontent in our lives. I think just some of us are just discontent. I think we've always got something to gripe about, whether it's the government or the the system or somebody in my workplace that's doing this or my boss that's doing that. We've always got something to be frustrated about. And don't get me wrong. There are things to be frustrated within all of those things. But I just wonder when you're frustrated, when you're upset about something. Are you convinced that Jesus is ahead of you? Are you convinced that he's like, yeah, that's what I'm fighting for, too? You know, what will you leave church with today? What what, will God speak to you? Are you going to be discontent about something with church? Did something go wrong here that displeases you? And if it did, is it something that Jesus is also displeased with? I think these things disunify the church and they are distractions from the kingdom work that God sets before us. They're bigger fish to fry than many of the things that frustrate me and drive me crazy. So follow Jesus into battle. And I love this about our denomination. This, this church, if you didn't know it, is part of a denomination called the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And it's, a, it's an alliance because it was birthed out of this desire to take churches, people from different faith backgrounds, to unify around gospel issues. To unify around Jesus and the Great Commission. To go into the world, sharing the gospel with people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's what we were grounded in. And if you surveyed this church what you would find is people from all different faith backgrounds, which is awesome, isn't it? Isn't that cool? Because that's going to look like heaven. You know that? I mean, you're going to be in heaven. You're going to be like, man, I didn't know they'd be here. That's, that's bizarre. Really? You let them in? It's going to be surprising. Uh, we even have it on our staff. You know, Pastor Josh, he's from a, a really charismatic background, and I'm from a Baptist background. And we come to church together, and we center ourselves on Christ. Isn't that good? Man, that's what the church should be about. Unified, together. And, and I even think in our city there's a movement for this. I've had the pleasure of having coffee with uh, various pastors from around the area lately. And they just, there's this desire to unify around the gospel, around things that truly matter, and to be on mission for Christ, reaching our city, being frustrated about things that frustrate Jesus. I love that. We kneel before we fight. 
We are weak. He is strong. Number four, Joshua fights like he's already won. He fights like he's already won. In verse 2, it said, And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. So, so God just says, Listen, I've already given this city to you. You haven't picked up a sword. You haven't picked up a spear. You've done nothing, and the city is already yours. And there's so much freedom to be had here. Because the thing is, Joshua, he's not fighting for God. God is fighting through Joshua. You see the difference there? You don't have to fight for God. Like if you feel like you need to defend God, he's okay on his own. You don't need to defend. If you feel like you need to defend the Bible, it stands on its own. It's okay. God is big enough to defend himself, but God fights through Joshua. He's fighting through you. There are things that you need to fight for. And he wants to fight through you. And the beauty of it is, the beauty of the story of the kingdom that Jesus comes to proclaim, is that it's not something that one day is going to come. It's something that is here now. Ephesians 1 talks about this inheritance that we can have as believers in Jesus. And it's, it's not an inheritance that we get someday. It's an inheritance that we get today. The second that you choose to walk into a covenant relationship with God, you gain this inheritance and you share in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection to new life. And you get that now. You get it. Just like for Joshua, God had promised them this promised land. He said, if you would just be obedient to me, if you would follow my call, you will succeed. You will have victory. And, and this is it's a beautiful thing, because for us as Christians, we can feel like oh, it's an uphill battle. Like this whole world's just going to hell in a handbasket. You know, it's just all falling apart. And, you know, there's nothing we can do. And no, God is like, listen, in the end. The story ends with Jesus' victory, and he's already had victory over sin and over death on the cross. So here's what this looks like for us. If you're a believer in Jesus and you're fighting against addiction, Jesus has already won your freedom. If you're a believer in Jesus and you're fighting against your pride, Jesus on the cross has already won your humility. If you're a Christian and, and today, man, you are, you're fighting against sexual pure, uh, for sexual purity. And, and, and Jesus, he's already won your devotion to him. Maybe you're fighting for your marriage today. Well, Jesus, he's already won your unity. You see how this works? On the cross, Jesus has already won. And so we aren't compelled by this, this hope, you know, of something that might be. Instead, we're compelled by the truth of what already is. And that's that Jesus is victorious over sin and over death. Not someday, today. And so Joshua walks into battle fighting like he's already won. We too can walk into all of the messes of our lives knowing that Jesus already has victory. He has already won. He's already overcome. You see, that's different. You're not fighting a losing battle. You're just becoming what God has already made you. He's already made you new. He's given you a new identity in Christ. There's hope there. There's so much hope there. And when we find that, now it's about making him great. Now it's about elevating Jesus and putting him on display in front of the world. And if you don't get this as a Christian, what's going to happen is you're only going to serve and you're only going to fight battles that make you great. If you don't get that you are weak and he is strong, you're only going to fight in ways that, that put you on display. 
But when you catch this, you say, listen, I am weak. He is strong. Then when it's like, oh, you need somebody to sweep the parking lot at church? Sign me up. I'm there. You know, there's no glory in that. It's just merely obedience. God's calling you to do it. It's like, what? You, you want me to go spend, you know, two hours downstairs with a bunch of crying infants? Uh, okay, I'll do it. You know, sign me up. I mean, it's kind of a hard job. Maybe God's saying, listen, I want you to give up the high paying job because I want you to make space to go and be a missionary somewhere. I want you to maybe take a different job. I want, I want you to be a missionary in this workplace. And you're like, oh, but I've got the job. Okay. I'm weak. He's strong. I can't control it anyway. I could, it could all be gone in a second. I might as well be obedient to God. Because when I'm obedient to God, I don't lose. Jesus always wins when we're obedient to him. I don't know what it is in your life that God is calling you to. But sometimes it means lowering yourself to make him great. 1 Corinthians 1.27 says this. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. In the end, it's all about him taking weak and broken vessels and and using them for amazing things. And and there's, there's so much hope there and so much excitement. God wants to use you right where you are. You're not the only one in this room that's addicted to something. You're not the only one in this room that was screaming at their kids all the way to church today, you know? I mean, you're not the only one that's, that's addicted to pornography. You're not the only one who abused their wife this week. You're not the only one who had an affair. I don't know what it is that you're like, this is, this is ugly stuff in my story. And these are, these are hard things. These are difficult things. But God in his grace takes you in your weakness and he uses you in your weakness to show that he is strong. So that he might be strong within you. And that is exciting to me. And then what happens is we get to be a people of weakness publicly. You guys, I think there's a whole generation of people that don't know how to kneel before anyone. It's a whole generation of people that don't know, how to, don't know how to submit themselves to anyone. And we need to be people who kneel. There, there's, a, there's a story of, of a little boy who's standing at the dinner table and the father says, son, sit down in the chair. And the son says, eh, no, because that's what little boys do sometimes. And the dad says, son, sit down in the chair. And the boy says, no. And the father finally goes, son, sit down in the chair. And he grabs the little boy by the arms and he sits him down in the chair. And he says, see, you're sitting. And the little boy goes, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. <laughs> Isn't that, man, what a story of our hearts. They're just prone to rebellion. Even if we're doing the right things on the outside, sometimes we're just rebelling against God on the inside. Maybe you've got all the religious behavior figured out. Maybe you're going to church. Maybe you're giving a lot of money to mission work. You know, maybe you're serving here. Maybe you're, you're doing this. You're doing good things for the kingdom. And on the inside, there is just deep rebellion against God. He wants us mind, body, soul, and submission. And then he wants us to show it to people, to model that submission to the world. The world needs to see the church as a people who submit to God, as a weak people 
who trust in Jesus. And that's what we're doing today through this thing called baptism. And baptism is simply this. It's a symbol of Jesus' death as he goes under the water, his burial, and his resurrection. And when we get baptized, it's a public display of our weakness and his strength. It's like publicly we tell everybody, listen, I need a crutch. I can't do this on my own. My legs are broken. I need Jesus. And that's why it's so beautiful. And that's why in the early church especially, it was the first thing that they did when when somebody would commit to following Jesus. They would say, okay, let's get you in the, let's get you in the river. Let's, let's get you baptized so that you can publicly tell people that you follow Christ. You know, and maybe you're like, well, Brian, I'm kind of private about my faith. Just kind of keep it to myself. And I always struggle with that because I'm like, listen, I mean, you mean to tell me that you are keenly aware of God's holiness, of Jesus's grace and his torment that he went through on the cross and his goodness to you. And you're, you're aware of your depravity and your sinfulness as a human being. And you're aware that Jesus reunited what was broken. And he's here to hold you up and to give you all the hope that you need. You're aware of that. And you can keep that to yourself. See, baptism is a call to the weak. To say, listen, I need help. And I'm going to tell the world that I have Jesus and that he holds me up. And that I can't hold myself up alone. So today, that's what I'm doing. I want to call you out. I want to call out the weak to show your weakness so that Christ might be made strong within you. That's what it's all about, you guys. Transformed lives. People who are weak being made strong in Christ. And so that's what we're putting on display today is weakness and the strength of God. And so what we're doing is we're going to call you out. If, if you are here to get baptized today, here we're going to worship a couple, we're going to worship through a couple of songs, and then we'd welcome you to come back in and we're going to baptize you. If you're here today and maybe you sense God speaking to you, that you are sick of trying to control your life, you're sick of trying to act like you are strong when you know that you're weak. If that's you today, I want to welcome you up. I want to welcome you to make a decision today and to get baptized and publicly declare your dependence on Christ. Maybe you were baptized as a child and you don't remember it. It didn't mean anything to you. And you know that Christ has come in. He's changed you. If you want to make a public declaration of that, then just come on up. We'd love to baptize you. And so out in the lobby, you may have seen the table, but we've kind of removed every excuse. If you're here today and you didn't plan on getting baptized, we got you covered. We've got uh, shorts out there in the lobby. We've got T-shirts. They've got sports bras. They've got, you know, hair dryers in the bathroom so your hair won't get all frozen when you leave. And we have covered absolutely everything to make sure there's no excuse. If you are here today, don't leave here without publicly declaring that you follow Jesus. It'll change your life. If you want to make a covenant with him today, if you want to make that commitment, would you just pray with me right now? Jesus, I just commit my life to you. I know that I'm weak. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I make mistakes and I am done trying to fix it on my own. Father, I need your grace. I don't have it all figured out and I don't even know necessarily what's to come, but I just trust that you have my best interest in heart. Father, I trust in your grace that you will walk me in each step and I commit my life to you, to trust you and to be trustworthy to you. Jesus, I pray for all in the room today, Father, that you would change our hearts. 
that you would help us to come to terms with our weakness and the greatness of your grace. God, transform us, and I pray as we leave this building, we would be different people, trusting in you, letting you hold us up. We are weak. You are strong. God, make your strength perfect in our weakness. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.